Well, good morning. Welcome to Southwoods Christian Church. My name is Tara, and uh, if you couldn't tell by the video, we are wrapping up what um, is Pastor Appreciation Month, and we just wanted to take a minute here to say thank you um, to the pastors that we have on staff who serve us well, um, who serve us um, at all hours <laughs> of all days sometimes, and um, having been on staff here now for I don't know, 15 years maybe, um, but I've been here over 30 and have literally grown up here, I can say without a doubt that the senior leadership pastors, Greg and Lori, um, they're in it to win it. And when I say win it, not for them, they're in it to win it for you. And it's a really big deal um, that we have them at the helm. So in addition to them, though, we also have our student pastor, Cody, and Kristen, who's in the back. So before we go on this morning, we just want to say an endeared thank you. And Kristen, she'll have to watch this back and hear it. Thank you for leading this church and for pastoring this church so well for so long. Yes? Um, along the back, Greg and Lori, Cody, and then we'll tell Kristen too, along the back are some blue sacks that have your name on them. And uh, people took the opportunity just to give you sentiments about what you mean to them, to us, to the church. So make sure you grab those on your way out, okay? All right. Well, hey, we're glad you're here. And we've had a lot of things happening here at the church lately. Uh, Friday night, we had trunk or treat. Once again, it was incredible. Go check out our Facebook page, and you'll see a bunch of pictures. Um, I know Lori put some pictures on your Facebook page, too. And it was great. We had over 100 kids here a lot from our church, a lot just from the community, and the weather cooperated, and it turned out to be a fantastic night. So thank you to all of you who were willing to do that, and if you didn't get a chance to do it, there's always next year, so we'll put you down, let us know, okay? I uh, want to let you know of something that's coming up next Saturday on the 6th. We are having our church serve day. Now, before you start running out the door right now, let me tell you about it. Um, you know, every year, we just kind of need some housekeeping. We got to housekeep. We got to get our place ready, get our house looking good, especially with the holidays coming up. So just from 10 to 12 Saturday, 10 to 12, meet here. We're going to be doing things like washing the inside and outside of windows. We're going to be doing a deep clean with the vacuuming, blowing some leaves out of uh, mulch beds and out of the parking lot. Um, so no child care, um, probably not a thing for itty bitties to do. Um, but if you are available and want to come here, we would really appreciate it. We would like to know if you're coming. You can just tell me after service. You can send an email. Um, you can call the church office and let us know, okay? All hands on deck makes it really quick and easy. Um, but we just need to do some of those housekeeping things. And our cleaning crew is fantastic every week, but they just can't get to everything. So we're going to intervene and get it ready to go, okay? Well, thanks for being here. I would like to take the opportunities to pray us into worship this morning. If you're online, thanks for joining us. And let's just prepare our hearts this morning for what God has to tell us, okay? Father God in heaven, thank you so much for the ability to worship you this morning. Thank you for the words that you're going to provide from your scripture, um, from your word, and teach us this morning about how to follow you. Once we grab that, it gives us the ability to go in the Great Commission and make disciples of others. Let us be bold as we witness for you. Let us learn today and give our praise over to you. And thank you for your incredible gift of your son. Thank you for the grace you give each and every one of us. 
Thank you for this church that is led by people you have called to do so. It is an honor to stand before you this morning. It's a privilege to have the freedom to worship you this morning. We love you and we give everything we have over to you today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said? All right. Everybody stand up as we get to stand here this morning. Do you hear me now? All right. Everybody stand up and uh, I want to hear the joyful noise that comes out of your lungs this morning as we praise our, our Lord and our Savior. When hope was restored Where was despair When my king took the shores Where was defeat When the Lord took a breath He stood in power By the grave that he left Nowhere, nowhere, nowhere Nowhere is the fear When my king resurrects thankful of the king that we serve. He is God of all things. Let's sing this right now. I see joy rising. I hear hope calling. I see fear hiding. I hear change falling. I see walls shaking. I hear doubt running. My God's on his way. Yes, he is coming. I see joy rising.
thank you for continuing to serve God through your faithful giving. And there are, there are different ways that you can give. And there's a slide that shows all these different ways. You can give in person. You can send it in. You can come and see Jackie's lovely face and hand it to her. There's so many ways that you can give. And we thank you for continuing to support not only the work here at Southwoods, but the work in our world around us. And thank you for doing that. Let's take just a moment and I would like for you to greet each other and say hi this morning. with me.
Let's lift our eyes. After this next song, we're going to participate in communion. The root word of Latin that this comes from, it's, it's, uh, it means, the, the first part of this, it means common. And it's a common unity that we share here when we participate in communion. It's, it's kind of the, a central part of what we do. Sometimes it, it can maybe feel like just something we quickly pass over, but it is a central part of what we do because there is so much meaning that is wrapped up into this moment. Whatever your life is like before you, before you are here and before you get to participate in this community and in, in, in communion, you know, it, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter if uh, your health or your wealth it doesn't matter if you're stressed or you're blessed. It doesn't matter on any of that stuff. What matters is, is that we all need the blood of Christ. And we right here are able to participate in that and thank God that no matter where you are at in your, in your personal lives, we share all of this in common. We need the grace of God. We need the grace of God. And we are thankful for his blood. Let's sing this next song and listen to the words as we sing it. And let's thank God for the grace that God gave on that cross. What seemed foolishness to this broken world is this hope we found, we found in Christ. 
Father in heaven, we just invite you to be here among us this morning. We thank you for your mercy, your grace, your sacrifice, Lord Jesus. We don't deserve it. We're eternally grateful that you have loved us more than you loved your own life, that you love the people around us more than you love your own life. Lord, we just once again come and offer ourselves up to you. We're so appreciative of your mercy, your grace, your favor, your sacrifice. Hear our prayers. Receive our gratitude and thanks. We offer to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, it's good to see you this morning, Southwoods. Glad that you're here today. Uh, Whether you're here on site or online, we're thrilled that you've made it and uh, trust that what we do this morning will be uh, an encouragement, uh, strengthen uh, your, uh, your spiritual life. Uh, before I dive into my message, I just want to say a word of thanks to um, really to all of you, because when I think of uh, Tara, I think of Tom, I think of Jackie, you know, I think of people around here who shepherd people, I think of our elders, I think of uh, you know, life group leaders, our children's ministry leaders, our student ministry uh, team, the volunteers that, uh, that are investing in, in our students' lives on a regular basis. I could go on. I mean, so many... Uh, what I love about Southwoods is that, that, like, I'm not the only pastor. You know what I'm saying? We're all kind of in this together. And I really do believe that is the biblical way that it's supposed to operate. I, I think we're all to be, we're all called to shepherd and pastor people. Nobody. Nobody's left out. Uh, some of us do it full time, and some of us don't. And that's the big difference. Uh, some of us are having to devote ourselves to other things. And so I I know some of you work in some unique situations and you're still shepherding and pastoring people in that setting. They would call you for counsel, not me. And uh, that's evidence that you're a pastor. So so yay, you guys, and I love and appreciate you. Well, today is Halloween, if you were unaware of that already. Uh, I've been thinking about uh, this year dressing up. Uh, you know, to greet the little munchkins that come to the door, trick-or-treating at our house uh, every year. I've been thinking about what to, uh, what to wear. I, I, every year I go through this process, should I dress up or not? And, I, and as I've been pondering, I thought, you know, I could really use your help, your input, as I think through some of the many costume options that are at my disposal in preparation for, uh, for tonight. So here are a few that I'm considering. Just want you to give me your honest feedback, okay? Honest feedback. Uh, option number one, since I like fried chicken, I thought about dressing up like this. <laughs> thought about going for that Colonel Sanders or a bucket of fried chicken look. You know, I thought both have, uh, have their, uh, I don't know, there's just something about that. Uh, maybe I could pass out some chicken wings, put them in <laughs> all the little kids' buckets and so forth. Be finger licking good, right? What do you think? Thumbs up, thumbs down. Somebody, I say, come on, come on, do it, do it. I'm looking around. There's more thumbs up than I would have thought. There are a few, there are a few thumbs down. Apparently you, uh, apparently you don't like chicken. That's what it is. You don't like chicken. Option number two. Lori and I could dress up as M&Ms. We could greet the children that come to our little door. You know, the little, we could pass out little peanut M&Ms to the little peanuts that come to our door. And What do you think about that? What do you think? Thumbs up, thumbs down, 
that's a little that's a little murkier, a little little a little more unclear. Option number three: When in doubt, choose bacon. <laughs> thought about this, and for a moment, I thought about just putting a piece of bacon in everybody's bucket as they came by. Yeah, there you go. There you go. I just I thought about that. But, you know, then I got to looking at the price of bacon now, and I thought, you know, believe it or not, candy's gone up, but bacon's higher. Bacon's more. So I don't know. What do, what do you think? Should I do it? Should I do it? Yeah. All right. Now, uh, okay. Uh, well, we'll see. I'm still, I'm still thinking about that one. Uh, I've thought about trying to scare the kids a little, just a little, just a little bit. And uh, here's an option that I thought maybe would work. Yeah, what do you think? What do you think? It's a, I, I, thumb, thumbs up? You know? No, a lot of thumbs down. You know, I, I've heard, it's been told to me that the, the few things are more frightening to children than clowns. I've, I've been told that. So, uh, so okay, well, I, we won't go with the clown then. But then I thought if I really wanted to scare everybody, I guess I could always dress up as <laughs> Donald Trump. Can you believe that picture? Can you believe that picture? I mean, that's just creepy. That's just a creepy thing. There's actually an eagle on the wall uh, behind him, and it kind of makes it look like he's got horns there. And just so you know, just so you know, Donald Trump is not the devil. Some of you may feel that way, but I just want you to know he's not. He's not. My Bible tells me he's not. So, so, you know, that's uh, but that's an option to uh, to frighten the little kids. So uh, thumbs up. Thumbs down. Lots of thumbs down on that one. I thought that I thought that makes you know, as we've been going through this, I've been pondering this a little bit and I've decided how I'm going to go tonight. Just like this. this is what the kids this is frightening enough when the kids come to the door. I ain't guarantee you. But uh, but, you know, every Halloween, it's uh, an interesting experience for me as I greet these little kids at our door. They show up trick or treating dressed as witches and ghosts and some of them slashers. Sometimes the devil himself, and at some point in the evening, I find myself thinking, you know, as I'm greeting the kids, and they're having fun, and it's all kind of a fun exercise, I just find myself thinking, I really wish the devil was just a fictional Halloween costume. Every year that goes through my mind. I I wish that he wasn't real. But according to the Word of God, he is real. He's a real living being. We're in a series that entitled Back to the Basics, and I couldn't think of a better weekend to talk about this than today. So I want to give you a Cliff Notes type of overview of our enemy, the devil, Satan. Not because we need to in any way glorify him, because that's not the objective of talking about it. The objective is know your enemy. Know what you're up against. Take seriously uh, your opponent, spiritually speaking. You know, the chiefs would do well to think that way today, correct? We would do well today, tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day if we take seriously our opponent because he plays for keeps. And from the beginning of this message time, all of us need to understand that the devil, Satan, is a real being. He's mentioned, do you realize this, more times in the Bible than all of the other angels in the Bible added together. Satan, the devil's talked about that much. I mean, do you believe in angels? Many of us would say, oh, yeah, I believe in angels. I believe in angels. But I'm not sure about the devil. 
Think about this with me, friends, this morning. He's described in the Bible as the tempter, the enemy, the evil one, the dragon, the serpent, the accuser, the deceiver, the adversary, the liar, the murderer, the thief, the wolf, a roaring lion. He's described as the prince of this world, and the list goes on. And according to the Bible, this dawned on me as I was writing this week, according to the Bible, the devil even has a Halloween costume. You know what it is? He masquerades as an angel of light, the Bible tells us. That's what he shows up at your door looking like, an angel of light. He doesn't come with pitchfork and ugly face. He shows up masquerading. In the Bible, Satan speaks, acts, tempts Christ, angels, and men. He struggles against God with supernatural strategy and strength. God created hell specifically for him, the Bible tells us, as a place of eternal torment and punishment because of his countless sins against God and mankind. A temporary punishment for him was not enough for what he's done to you and me in God's estimation. But even with all of the biblical press that Satan gets, some people in our generation have concluded that the devil is just a metaphor. He's a, he's a picturesque term that's used to describe the idea of evil. It's how many in our university settings and various other, even church settings in some places, that's how they think of it. I want you to think about this in light of what the Bible says about what God's going to do with evil, with the evil one. Does it make sense that metaphors are tormented and punished? Does it make sense that metaphors or picturesque terms do things like Satan is described to do in the Bible? It, it just, it's not rational, friend. It just isn't. Satan is a rational, emotional, living, powerful, evil being who's more cunning, sly, and deceptive than most people in our day and our generation give him credit for. And so for the next few minutes, what I want to do is quickly familiarize you with his origin, his power, and then I'm going to make a few applications at the close that I think will kind of help strengthen your spirit and help clarify your focus and how to think about him and how to think about the world in which we live. And I hope you'll listen close because let me just say there is a war going on, a spiritual war. It's in the heavenly realms, but it shows up in the physical, and it affects you. And just because you don't want to think about it, just because you don't want to be a part of it, guess what? The war goes on. And the surest way to lose a fight with the evil one is to not engage. Not engage. So I hope you'll listen close as we talk about his origin, his power, and then make some applications about all of this, all right? Let's talk about Satan's origin first. Where did evil come from? If God's completely holy, if he's perfect, if he's pure, as the Bible says, then, then how did evil show up on the scene? I mean, lots of people have wondered. Some of us, we've dialogued about this over the years. Why did God create the devil? It's the question that, that so many people think. The Bible indicates in the Old Testament book of Ezekiel 28 that Satan was a created being. The devil was a created being. Hear me. But he was originally created by God as what? An angel. He was an angel. Holy, good, and blameless. 
in His ways. He was one of the original legions of angels that the Bible talks about. He did what all angels did and do today. He worshiped and glorified the holy God. He carried out God's request of him, whatever they happen to be. And I want you to listen to what God says about Satan as he was originally created in the Bible. I mean, as the Bible describes what God says about him. God says this in Ezekiel 28, starting at verse 12. You can make me... We're going to go through some of these passages fast, and if you might want to just make reference of where these are, if you're unfamiliar with them. Ezekiel 28, starting at verse 12, God says this, You are the model of perfection, full of wisdom and exquisite in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Now just think about it. who. Just think about that. Who was in Adam and Eve were in the garden, and apparently the evil one was in the garden here. It says, your clothing was adorned with every precious stone. And he goes on in the text to list all of them. I kind of fast forward through that here, but adorned with every precious stone, all beautifully crafted for you and set in the finest gold. They were given to you on the day you were created. And he goes on, God says, I ordained and anointed you as the mighty angelic guardian. You had access to the holy mountain of God and walked among the stones of fire. These are sacred holy places that only only the few get to go, and the evil one had access to that. Verse 15, you were blameless in all you did from the day you were created, and then it says this, until the day evil was found in you. And then God describes the nature of his sin. Verse 17, and on Isaiah 14 with these words, verse 17 continues and says, Your heart was filled with pride because of all your beauty. Your wisdom was corrupted by your love of splendor. And Isaiah 14 says, How you are fallen from heaven, O shining star. Let me just pause right there. I just want to pause right there because that O shining star, shining star The New Living Translation here that I'm using translates Lucifer's name, or the evil one's name, and its name is Lucifer. That's the Hebrew name, Lucifer. O shining star, it could say, some of the translations say, O Lucifer. That was his angelic name to begin with. Son of the morning. Continues and said, And you have been thrown down to earth, to the earth, you who destroyed the nations of the world. For you said to yourself, and then he starts into this litany of, of I will statements that he's quoting the evil one here. And, and the New Living does an okay job with this. I think that actually the New King James does a little better job in some respects, but I'm in the New Living, so let's just stick with it. But just notice all these I wills that the evil one is saying here. I will ascend to heaven and then if you were reading the New Living or the New, uh, the, the New King James, it goes on and says, and I will set my throne, is what it says, above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high. I mean, you, you see, it's like five I wills there that are, you know, in the original text that are just, you just see the grandiosity, the him being enamored and overcome by his own splendor and just enthralled with himself. And God says in verse 15 to him, Instead, you will be brought down to the place of the dead, down to its lowest depths. And then he adds 
in Ezekiel 28, 16, and 17. So I banished you in disgrace from the mountain of God. I expelled you, O mighty guardian, from your place among the stones of fire. I threw you where? That was pretty weak. I threw you to the earth. Threw you to the earth. In these verses, God explains that Satan sought to exalt himself to a position that was equal to, even greater than God himself. In leadership circles, this is called rebellion, insurrection, insubordination. The scriptures indicate that he didn't stop there. The evil one launched a conspiracy in the heavenly realms, and he persuaded a host of the other angels to side with him, the Bible tells us. And the scriptures refer to these other angels as spiritual forces of evil, rulers and powers of darkness, demons. It uses all these terms and other, a few others. But, but God dealt decisively with their insurrection, the Bible tells us. He cast the devil and his fallen angels out of heaven and to the earth, to the earth. Now, according to the Bible, when the devil and his evil co-conspirators realized that they could not dethrone God, they strategized how best they could inflict pain and suffering on him. After analyzing the situation, they determined that there was no way they could hurt God directly. He was invincible. He was beyond their reach personally. So they pondered, who in all the universe does God love the most? If we could cause them to experience pain and suffering, and then I think with a little bit of warped and twisted glee in their minds and their faces, if we could cause them to experience pain and suffering, then God will grieve and mourn and suffer with their plight. And as they considered the question, guess who came to their mind? Adam and Eve? You and me? People in general? The earth that God created and all its beauty? That's why the serpent sought out Eve in the Garden of Eden, because the text tells us he was there. He sought them out. And ever since that time, there's been a war being waged on earth between good and evil, God and the devil, over the souls and destinies of men and women, boys and girls. That's Satan's origin. Here's something we can learn from all of this about angels, good and evil. It's important for us to learn. Just sort of a, it's a little bit of a sideline thought, but it's important for us to learn and I wanted to throw it in here, so that's the, here it is. So it's a parenthetical thought, that we need, lesson we need to learn. When you think about angels, good and evil, you, here's what you have to understand. They have free will, just like you, just like me. This is how it entered the universe. They have free will, just like you and me. But what you and I have to understand is that they also have power, authority, influence way beyond you and me at this stage of the game. If we had time, we'd read Psalm 8. We've been created a little lower than the angels, the text tells us. 
We don't have all of the authority, all of the power that they do. The Apostle Paul talks about it in a later time in, in Corinthians. He talks about how we will one day judge and rule over angels. The day will come where this is true, where the power they have will be insignificant, inconsequential to the power and authority that every one of us who walks in Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit will have over them. That's coming in its full form. The Bible's really clear about that. But here's what you and I need to think about with regard to now, the here and now. And that is that Satan has power that's greater than you and greater than me. We see in the book of Job in the Bible that Satan has the power to confuse, to discourage, to destroy, and to kill people. You don't believe me? Go read Job 1 and 2 again. If you read there, you're also going to see that he has power to influence the wind, weather, and climate. Are there climate changes going on? Maybe. Let me just say, there will be more. It's not because of the exhaust in your car. It's not. If you look at Scripture, the evil one has control over that. It has a lot to do with that. Can God interfere in that if He wants to? Sure, but He has control of it. Read, James, or read Job 1 and 2. See it in other places too. We see in 2 Corinthians 4 that Satan has the power to blind the minds of unbelievers to the truth about Christ. Now, I want you to think about this with me for a moment. This is something we just don't ponder very much. Many of us have friends and loved ones who don't really know Christ. We've prayed for them. Uh, we've tried to talk with them, reason with them. We've challenged their assumptions. Some of us have given them books. We've invited them to Bible studies. We, we've sent them links of things to watch and look at. And, uh, we invite them to church. We cannot figure out why they don't respond to the truth of Christ. Why don't they open up their heart? Part of the answer, according to the Bible, if we took the time to read 2 Corinthians chapter 4, go read that later if you haven't read it lately, is that Satan has the power to blind the minds of unbelievers to the truth about Christ. It's power. Does that mean that it's fruitless to try to pray, that it's fruitless to try to reach out to them and all the stuff we do? No, no. You keep doing those things. Just understand, sometimes you pray and pray and pray and pray, and it takes time, not because God's not listening, but because the evil one has power and influence, and you haven't broken through yet. You haven't broken through yet. More could be said about that. But the evil one has power. Listen to what the Bible tells us about the devil's power, and I'm coming at this, this angle because this is not what we think. But this is what the Bible says. Listen to what the Bible tells us about the devil's power. 1 John chapter 5, verse 19 says this. We know that we are children of God and, what's the rest of it say? That the world around us is under the control of the evil one. Some of us don't think that way. Some of us say, well, Jesus defeated his... Yeah, he did, he did, he did. But this was written after the cross, friends. This was written after the resurrection. Who does it say is in control, who has power and control over our world right now? Satan, the evil one, the devil. He's controlling how much of the world? The whole world. 
When Satan tempted Jesus in Luke 4 and in Matthew 4, it's recorded. When he tempted Jesus, he says, I'll, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth. They're within my power to give them to whoever I want. That was not an empty promise, friends. One day he will give that to the Antichrist, Scripture teaches. If you've ever wondered why is there war and racism, poverty, murder, rape, divorce, and robbery? If you've ever wondered who masterminded COVID-19? If you've ever wondered who masterminded the Taliban's return to Afghanistan or thought about the 85% of the subject matter for today's news that's bad? Who came up with all that? Whose idea and mind was behind that? Hear me, it's not humans. It's not humans. Some of us look at the world today and say, there's a conspiracy of all this stuff. Duh, there is. It's not human in origin. Say it with me. It's not human in origin. That was pretty weak. One more time. It's not human in origin. And this is not preacher speak. This is not something that I'm just making up. The Bible says we know that we are children of God and that the whole world, the world around us is under the control of the evil one. And he's a master at manipulating humans. He's a master at it. He's had a lot of practice. Ephesians chapter 6 echoes this very same idea this way. It says, we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. It's not who we're wrestling with here in this world. Who are we wrestling with then? The text tells us we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. That's the real enemy. And it's unseen. Its conspiracy is hidden. It's cloaked. But we see its effect. Just like we watch the wind blow and we watch, we know, know there's something there. You watch the world and you go, ah, oh, there's, there's got to be something going on behind the scenes here. Somebody's got to be sitting in a boardroom or something. Nah, humans aren't that good. None of us. Which brings me to a third thing you and I need to know about Satan. Although the devil's power is shocking and intimidating, you need to know that his power is a distant second to God's. This is one of the key things that you and I have to keep in the back of our minds. Maybe it's in the forefront of our minds a good bit of the time, but we just have to think about this. You know, Satan can cause war and division and destruction between individuals, families, and nations, but the one and only God is capable of rising from the dead. Okay? He can rise from the dead. 
He's capable of bringing forgiveness, peace, and love into a divided world. He offers hope and healing and restoration and everlasting life to all who in faith turn to Him. Something that will dramatically outlast anything that, that we know, own, or see around us. And God has promised that once He's finished with His coming judgment of evil, and let me just be clear, the Scripture is very explicit that there is a coming judgment of evil. Note to self, now is the time to separate yourself from evil. You do not want to be in proximity to it when the judgment and wrath of God begins to hit earth. You don't. It will come because God hates evil beyond your capacity or mind to comprehend. You and I get mad at things that go wrong in our lives, and sometimes we'll throw things. And we'll be, ah. If you think that's mad, you have not comprehended the white-hot rage of God. Read, read the book of Revelation. It shows up there. And let me just tell you, friends, that's as graphic as language can be, and it doesn't do it justice. It doesn't. It's important that you and I understand that God has promised, though, that once He's finished with His coming judgment of evil, He is going to recreate everything. He's going to make all things new. And according to the Bible, all of this and more is possible because of one person, because of Jesus. Colossians 2.15 tells us, 2,000 years ago, Jesus, He disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by His victory over them on the cross. They crucified Him on a cross, but He rose from the grave, triumphant over evil, once and for all time. Scripture tells us the first fruits among all of God's children who die and will be resurrected. It's explicit that the day will come when you, if your body is dead, the real you will be reunited with a recreated body and you will live and you will have authority over evil like, like you can only imagine in this moment. This is the promise of Scripture. And the Bible also tells us that if we'll put our faith in Jesus, it makes this promise, Colossians 1, God has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and He has transferred us into the kingdom of His dear Son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Praise the Lord. It deserves it, praise the Lord. It deserves it, friends, from every one of us. So I need to ask you, have you put your faith in Jesus? Have you aligned your life with Him? the one who's made all the difference? Have you given your heart to Him? Have you declared your allegiance, your loyalty, your obedience to Him? Because hear me, friends, there is a war. There is a war going on right now with real consequences that's being waged in the invisible realms and the physical realms for your allegiance, your loyalty, your soul... And if we ignore the battle, it's not going to stop. 
You go to Afghanistan right now and you wander off into, into the country somewhere and you just think, I'm just going to wander around. I'm going to jump. I'm going to rent a car and go driving around and I'm just going to have a good time here, you know? How's that going to work out for you? At a checkpoint where they start asking you if you're a believer in Jesus. It's not going to go well. And you can say, well, I just, you know, I'm just ignoring all of that. La, 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 la. I'm just not even going to respond to the person. That'll be the last thing you remember doing. We have to understand, friends, the evil one is more than a fictional costume character who shows up every 365 days at Halloween. It's a big deal, aligning your life with him, with God, with God. It's a big deal if you align yourself with evil, too, because that's not going to go well. Not going to go well. So you declare your allegiance today to God who loves you, has provided a way of survival and escape for you, who's going to make all things new in due time. Will you just once and for all say, Lord, here I am, I'm yours. You demonstrate your surrender to Jesus through Christian baptism as the scriptures teach. Do you realize that all of heaven watches? You get this picture in Scripture that like all of heaven pauses when somebody surrenders their life to God in Christian baptism because they're physically with their body, with their body, okay, declaring their faith in Jesus. And in that moment, it's like all of heaven pauses and goes, the good guys say hallelujah, the bad guys go, darn it, we lost another one. This is, what it's, this is what's going on behind the veil, in the unseen realm. But Scripture is this, is so, so clear that if you and I will give our lives to Jesus, 1 John 4, 4 says this, you and I need to live with this promise, greater is He who is in you than he that is in the world. And that's what we need. We need God in our lives. So I'm going to invite you to stand with me. We're going to close in prayer this morning. And like every week, the invitation is for you to open your heart to God and give yourself to Him. Maybe you need to be baptized. You can let us know. We can help you with that. Maybe you need prayer for some other area of your life. We'd be happy to pray for you about that. But remember who your enemy is. And it's not in Congress, it's not in the White House. It's not, you know, voting this week. It's not the school board. It's not a whole lot of things that we think of when we get simplistic in our understanding of things, when we look at things from a worldly point of view. If you understand what the scriptures teach, your struggles against something beyond flesh and blood. Paul goes on, Ephesians 6, to talk about we need to pray and pray without ceasing and Pray in the Spirit on all occasions. And, you know, we, need to, we need to wield the sword of the Spirit. This, this book, and not only can the evil one quote it, we need to be able to quote it. At Him and before the Father, 
We need to be spiritual in our minds. So uh, let's head in that direction. Let's pray, and then uh, we'll be dismissed. Glad you made it this morning. Father, we thank you that you are good. If you were not good like you are, as committed as evil is to its cause, all that we know would have been destroyed and ruined long, long ago. But we thank you that because of your goodness, because of your sovereignty, evil is not more pervasive than it is. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you died, that you defeated the evil one on the cross and when you rose from the dead. We thank you for that. We thank you for the promise that the day is coming when we will rise above it by the power of your Holy Spirit. We, uh, we thank you for that. And Father, we just humble ourselves and we just ask you to fill us. We ask you to make us more fully yours. We ask you to help us to, to remember what we've talked about today, not that it frighten us, but that we might remember what's going on around us when we look at the world in which we live. As we watch the economy, as we watch political things go on, as we we think of viruses and pandemics and these kinds of things, help us to see beyond the physical, that we might understand what's really going on and see you at work in ways that are very evident to those who have eyes to see. We just humble ourselves and invite you to help us to walk in that way. Lord Jesus, that's how you walked. It's how the apostles walked, the early church, the believers walked. That's what you want us to do. Only you want us to be even more clear in that than they could have been in their day. Now, Lord, uh, we just humble ourselves. We ask your forgiveness, your healing, your deliverance and freedom for our addictions, our brokenness. We just align ourselves with you. And we leave this place walking with you. Guide us. Thank you for your mercy, your grace. We lift all this in the name of Jesus. And everybody agreed with me and said, amen. 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 Bless you all.